Well, good morning, everyone. We're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Not me, I had a hard time waking up this morning. Well, it's been a while since I've been up here to preach, so the good news is that we picked a good guy to cover for me while I was gone, so, so we did a good job on that. <clears throat> um, <laughs> but uh, it's good to be up here and, and bring you God's Word this morning. Um, so... I'm just going to jump right in because I don't have a sweet, cool intro or anything. But um, so my family and I were on vacation a couple of weeks ago, and and uh, we went to this place. Um, we went to Memphis, and we went to a place I'd never been before. I didn't even know it existed. I mean, I guess I assumed it existed somewhere. That place is Graceland. No, um, that's not what I'm talking about. We're just going to uh, do a sermon this morning about Elvis. Um, but no, I, I assumed it existed, but I'd never been there before. Um, but it got me really thinking about um, our nation and our history as a nation, and, and God started kind of whispering, <coughs> excuse me, into my ear about my own life, and that place is the National Civil Rights Museum. I don't know if you guys have been there before. Um, it's usually not on a bucket list of places for people to go see, but um, some of you might have seen a picture I posted on the Facebooks and Instagrams um, of the hotel room where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, and that's where the museum is. It's actually in that hotel, and, and the hotel eventually closed down, and, and someone bought it and turned it into a museum, and you can go up there and, and see all that stuff. But um, as you go through the museum, you, you start to see how, how the United States, or how our country anyways, has treated people from the very beginning, people of different whatever backgrounds race, color, creed, all that stuff, um, how they treated them horribly and, and, and differently just for silly reasons. Um, and you see a lot of things that, that, that we don't have time to go into this morning because this isn't a, a sermon on civil rights or anything. But, um, but trust me, if you're ever in Memphis, I highly recommend going there. Can, I, I've never felt so much like I needed to go around and apologize to everyone as I, as I did when I was in there. I was like, I'm so sorry. I, I know I didn't do this, but I'm so sorry. Um, but as I was walking around, I just kept thinking to myself, why, why did it take so long for things to really begin to change? Why, why did it take all the way up until the 60s for things to really begin to get in motion of changing? Um, and I, I just kept wondering, how did it get as bad as it did then? Why, why didn't enough people stand up and and do something to make a difference. And I remembered seeing things in, in school when I was in school, and they, you go through a, 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 that part in history, and you talk about that. And, and um, I remember seeing shows on TV, you know, every year when it comes around to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s, I'm just going to say, I don't know what I'm going to say. That's a lot to spit out. But, um, but every, every time it comes to his birthday, you see things on TV about the civil rights Deal and the and the and Rosa Parks and and having to move to the back of the bus and and all those different things and the, and the sit-ins that they did at the diners and the restaurants and things like that and I just remember thinking I rem, I remembered being younger and asking adults that were I mean my parents my grandparents mom I'm not going to make you look bad but um, and just different adults and, and asking you know what what was that really like and and remember hearing whoever it was that I asked, you know, because we were in a part of the country, you know, Missouri was in a part of the country where it wasn't as huge of a deal as it was in Memphis. And a lot of, get a lot of, well, you know, it didn't really affect us that much here because we didn't have a lot of, 
of black people here. It didn't affect us much, so, so we didn't get involved. You know, we didn't do these things. It wasn't a big deal. I remember watching when that happened on TV, and it just began to kind of occur to me as I was walking through this museum that, that apathy was a huge deal, that, that, um, that probably led to this big, big blow up more than anything else because there were so many people that just, it didn't affect them, so why do we need to get involved? There's, we don't have a problem with that where I live, so I don't need to get involved in that. And so God just began to whisper in my ear. Um, and over, over the past couple of weeks, um, he's just kept that on my mind. And so uh, this really was not what I was planning on on preaching about this morning, but I decided uh, last night that's what I'd preach about. No. Um, but I just began to wonder, have I been apathetic about the things of God? Have I chosen not to get involved to thing, in things that don't affect me personally, spiritually? As long as my family is safe and comfortable and my kids don't act like those kids, you know, and I can bring them to church and, and it's a safe place. I don't have to worry about bad things happening at church because it's a safe place. And, and has that been my goal? Have I just ignored the, the needs of others spiritually because of that? And so I, I don't know where you're at this morning, but this sermon might just have been for me. So if, if it's just for me, then just, just sit back and relax, I guess. And you guys can all talk about how bad I am when we're done. But um, so I just, these things have been going through my mind the last couple of weeks. Um, and so think things that we can do, but I've been thinking about things that we can do, maybe we can change as a church, I can change as, as an individual to, to break this, this thing of apathy. Um, and so dictionary.com, which is one of my favorite websites, I get a word of the day every day, and this was not my word of the day anytime soon, but um, it says that apathy is the absence or suppression of passion, emotion, and excitement. And when you think about the civil rights movement, and how it got to this certain point, that, that's exactly what was happening. People, people weren't moved because it didn't affect them. It wasn't in their community. It wasn't in their face. So they weren't moved. They suppressed it. They suppressed, it. They suppressed their passion or their emotion because it, it, didn't, it didn't bother them where they were. So they didn't necessarily need to go get involved in, in Alabama and Memphis and places like that where it was really blowing up. And so then I begin to think, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm like, well, man, have I been that way about other things? Have I suppressed God's spirit? Have I kept myself absent from things? Have I kept myself at, at an arm's reach from, from things that might be dangerous, where I might be pressed to have to rely on God? Have I, have I done that with God's spirit? So, um, so that's how dictionary.com defines apathy. Let's look at how Jesus defines apathy. And we're in Revelation today, Revelation chapter 3. No, this isn't like the dragon's chapter or the, the seven bowls and the seven letters. N none of that cool stuff because I am definitely not a person that can speak to that with any sense of having any idea what's going on in there. I could just stand up here and read it and let you guys all guess at what it means, but that's as far as it'd go. All right, so Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 uh, it says, Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. 
So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I've become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't, need, you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. Excuse me, Diet Coke. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and, and <coughs> sorry, sit down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, let's pray and we'll, we'll really dive into this. Father, thank you so much for your word, God. Thank you for, for how you can just begin to move us as a people, God, through, through just through your word, God, and spending time in your word, Father, and spending time in prayer with you, God. I just pray that as we move this morning, as we move through the, this passage this morning, God, that you begin to work in our hearts and soften our hearts, God, and just begin to impress on us any place where we might be holding back, Father. God, I know in my own life, I just, I just ask that, that you help, help me move from this place of, of apathy in certain areas, God, and just give me, begin to impress on me the the needs and the desires of those around me, God, and that, that I can help meet those needs by, by telling people about you, Father. I just thank you for, for, again, your word and your wisdom, God, and I just pray that you guide and direct us this morning, God, and I just ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, so, Bree, do you have that, that slide? Is it up there? Sweet. So, a couple of things real quick that we need to know about Laodicea. So, you see this map up here. We're going to get a little bit of a background, but we've got Laodicea kind of over here on the right in the bottom. It's got Ephesus and Laodicea. I'm going to try and say Laodicea as many times as possible because that's one of the coolest words I think ever written down. If I were to have another child, I'd name it Laodicea. Um, and then we got this, this one over here, Patmos. So, whoop, so we know John writes the letter or writes the book of Revelation, right? He's exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And at the beginning... It's got, he writes, send a letter to this angel of this church, and it, and it goes around, it starts in Ephesus and works its way around, it just basically does a big circle. That's why it's in that order, because Ephesus is the closest, and it moves its way up the coast and finishes in Laodicea, because it's the farthest away from everything. So, <clears throat> so Jesus is telling him, and when he says, write to the angel in the church of Laodicea, he's talking about the pastor or the lead elder, whoever's there, he's not talking about an actual angel if Jesus wanted to talk to an angel, he'd just talk to the angel, right? So he's saying, hey, write a letter, because the angels don't need John to write him a letter. Um, so he's saying, write a letter to this angel at the church at Laodicea. And when you, as you go through all these other churches, you get, hey, I've seen your works, and I know what you do, and you're doing this, you're doing great, but something. Well, if you look at Laodicea, he doesn't start with, you're doing great in this area, but something. He just, apparently they've not done anything great. And so for a little background for Laodicea, they were known for three things. Uh, one was wealth, because they had a lot of banks. Apparently that's all you have to do to be wealthy. So anyone looking for a get-rich-quick scheme, just start a bank. Uh, that makes you wealthy, apparently. Uh, but 
I listen to a lot of history podcasts, and when you hear like all these great wealthy nations, it's always they had a lot of banking. I don't. I guess it's that easy. I don't know if you have to start with like five dollars cash and open a bank, um, but they all start. You know, they're all like, oh, they had a lot of banks, so there was a lot of money there. Um, so they were known for their wealth, and they had a lot of banks. Uh, two, they had a soft black wool that everybody in the area wanted because it was soft wool. Um, and then they made an eye salve. Again, another great word, salve. Salve. We don't use that word enough either, salve or ointment. It's all lotions now. Um, but they were known for these three things. And then they had this other bad fourth thing that everyone knew them for, uh, and that was their inadequate water supply. And so what they had to do was because they weren't near, if you look at the map, they're not super close to anywhere with water, so um, they had to rely on other places to pump the water to them. Colisey was one, and they were known for being around uh, awesome cool water springs, so they would pump cold water to Laodicea, and then Hierapolis was one that was known for hot springs, and they would pump hot water to Laodicea. And the only problem was those two places, which aren't on here, were about 10 miles away from Laodicea. So you can imagine really cool water being pumped for 10 miles by the time it gets to Laodicea. It's not cold anymore. Hot water being pumped there from Hierapolis, 10 miles, started to cool down some. So by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And people during that time, it was said, and it is John, or Jesus specifically addresses that here, they would drink the water and spit it out because mm -mm, nothing's better on a nice hot summer day than a glass of lukewarm water, right? Everybody loves that. Um, so that's what is going on in Laodicea. They're super rich. A lot of people want their black wool and their eye salve. I don't, I don't know what eye problems they have they had the pink eye back then or what, but they had an awesome eye salve that I guess they made with their sweet, lukewarm water. Um, so that's what's going on here. They've got three pretty good things going for them, but one really bad thing going for the city of Laodicea. And so Jesus takes all these things and he uses them as he talks to the church at Laodicea. So what's the problem with this church? Well, let's look in verse 16. It says, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you from my mouth. Mm, that's, a good, that's a good way to open up. Again, if you look back at some of these others, um, the church at Philadelphia, he, he praises them for their brotherly love, right? That's what the city is. And he praises these other churches for anything. He just jumps right in here. You've not done anything good, so we're just going to uh, look at this. And I'd like to throw you up. So if you go back to verse 14 real quick, um, when he said, verse 14 and 15, um, he says, Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. So what he's saying here, Amen means so be it. Did anybody here know that Amen means so be it? Does anybody know, like a lot of these words we use at church, most people are just like, yeah, that's just, that's how you end a prayer. You say Amen. It's like saying goodbye, I guess. I don't know. But no, it means so be it. So I've said it, so now this is what we're going to do. And so Jesus is saying here that as the faithful and true creator, you better pay attention to what I'm telling you because I'm telling you this as a church and because I've said it, I, I, I'm the creator, I'm it. Like there's nobody above this. 
I'm the amen. So if I've said it, this is how it's going to go. This is exactly how it is. And this is how things are going to go for you. And you can trust what I'm going to say to you, but you better pay attention. And then he says, I know your works are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. And so we come to verse 16. Because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I think a lot of us read this this passage and we get a little confused because it sounds like Jesus is saying, "Uh, forget it, buddy, you're done. Like we can lose our salvation. Right. That's kind of what it sounds like when you read this. You're not hot or cold, so I don't I'm just going to get rid of you. You haven't done what I needed. So sorry, buddy. Good luck with the in your other religion. But um, that's not how it works with me. And that's not at all what he's saying here, because scripture is very clear. Once we're in God's hands, nothing can remove us from God's hands. God, once we're in his hands, once we've accepted Christ's love, he, he loves us beyond infinitely. He loves us with such a burning fire, you, you can't even imagine it. It's, it's a love that chases us and seeks us. Why would he throw us away? Because we've made a mistake. That's not, that's not at all what he's saying. Um, the warning here, he says, I look at you and I see your works and you nauseate me. You make me sick to my stomach. Right. So the warning here is to beware of this apathy. See, this water comes in and it doesn't really have any use. So people don't use they don't they have this lukewarm water that they're just like, let's let's go. I don't want that stuff. Um, And they don't nobody wants to drink when people come to visit. They don't want to drink. It's kind of like when they when you go to Mexico. Right. They say, don't drink the water. So nobody drink when we go there. Nobody drinks their water. People would visit Laodicea. They didn't want anything to do with their water. I don't know if they had bottled water back then, but we'll assume they did, and they drank their own. But he's saying to us he would rather us be hot or cold. Um, so, some say you know, that, he is, that, that what he's saying here is that he would rather us just be passionately on fire for God or that we'd be cold towards God. And I don't know, you know, I'm not a theologian or anything, but I I can't imagine God saying, I wish you were cold to me. I can't imagine God saying that. So I don't know that that's necessarily what he's saying. What I think and when I read this is that he's saying, I wish you had some use for me. Right. Again, when when we have cold water, cold water has a use. You can drink it. It's refreshing. Man, I know I so told this last year when I was preaching, or I think it was last year, about this time, that I had done something I'd never done and drank out of somebody's hose. That was the best water in the whole world because it was cold and coming right out of the hose. Man. So cold water has a purpose. It, it's refreshing. It cools us off. And hot water has a purpose. We use it to clean with, right? And coffee, but I'll let you guys determine which one of those is more important. Some of us would probably say coffee, right, Jan? Yeah. Um, but, you know, when, you, when you're real dirty, you don't want to go take a cold shower. When your hands are real dirty, you wash them with warm water and soap usually, right? And so cold water has a purpose for drinking. Hot water has a purpose for cleaning and for coffee, like I said. But you can't use lukewarm water, and you don't want to use lukewarm water for anything. You don't want to use it to drink. Like I said, I, I imagine, Tim, whenever your guys are at football practice in the summer, they can't wait to get a glass of water that's been sitting there 
in the sun all day, right? They want, they want their water bottles to have been out in the sun all day, I'm sure, uh, because it's so refreshing to get that air temperature water, right? Mm. We all love to drink just cups and cups of water from the shower when we're taking a shower, right? Wow, nothing hits the spot like that. Um, and so he's saying you can't use lukewarm water for anything. We don't want to clean with it. We, we want it hot if we want, to, want our hands to be clean. We don't want to drink it because that's gross. And so he's saying, when we look at this, we're saying you don't, you don't do anything. You won't let yourself be used by me for any purpose. And when I read this, I think that might be what Jesus intended when he said that. He's like, I, I would rather you be something for me, whatever your purpose is. It doesn't have to be preacher. It doesn't have to be Sunday school teacher. It could be janitor, but be used for me. Be used by me when you go to your job, whatever your job is. Be used for me for something, but you don't let yourself be used by me for anything. And so I don't, I want to get rid of you. I, 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 you make me sick because I look at you and I see all this potential, but you don't use it. And it makes me sick, it makes me sad. You won't let yourself be used for me for the purpose I created you. And so apathy has kind of sunk in and become this problem for us in our churches and in believers in our society. A lot of us no longer care anymore for the things of God um, as long as the praise band is awesome on Sunday mornings, right? Oh, man, as long as we got a good praise band. And there's maybe a little extra electric guitar in there. That's good because then we can rock out. We don't feel like we're singing some of those plain old boring hymns, right? But don't get me wrong, I love hymns. But as long as the praise band rocks and the pastor is charismatic and he keeps our attention, then we're fine. That's, church was good today because the, captain, the pastor kept my attention for a full hour and a half, which we're going to probably be getting close to today. I'm not as good as Mike, so I'll make up for it by going longer. Um, but you better not let us down next week. Because when next week comes, we don't care how awesome the service was last week. We've already talked about it. But the service this week better be good or we might be looking for another church. Because they just, I don't, just don't I'm not really feeling it. The, the praise band was just kind of everything was slow or everything was fast all the time. I need it this way. Pastor talked about tithing. And so I'm just not really feeling it. I feel like that church is just all about themselves. And so... We have this attitude. This better be as good this week as it was last week, so you can keep me coming back. But in the meantime, we've done nothing from Monday through Friday with what the pastor talked about on Sunday. We take that and we're like, well, that was a good sermon, and we just keep filling ourselves up. And just like the Dead Sea, we take, keep taking it in and taking it in, and we become stagnant and gross. Nobody can drink our water because, oh, man, we're filling up, and we're just filling the sponge up, and we don't wring it out on those around us. So how did the church at Laodicea, and how do we, how did we as a society, and again, this may not apply to you. I know I feel myself kind of slipping into this pattern occasionally, and so that's why I say this service may not be for you. It might be speaking directly to me. But how did we get to this point? How did they get to this point? In verse 17, it says, For you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So they've kind of become self-sufficient, right? They're a super rich city. They got all the money they need. 
People are coming to them to buy their clothes and get their eyes off and leaving as fast as they can because they don't want to have anything to do with the water, the thing that's supposed to bring life into your community, right? Don't live very long without water. They don't want to have anything to do with that, so nobody wants to stay, right? So I imagine their tourism board was pretty stoked about all those other things. Come to Laodicea, but just don't stay very long. Buy all our stuff, but you don't want to stay very long because you might not come back. Um, So they've become self-sufficient, right? The church in Laodicea has money and lots of it. They don't need help from anyone. They have a need, just write a check for it. We're fine, we're good. They don't need help from anyone, especially not God, because they have all their needs met. They don't have to worry about where they're gonna eat clothes or because they make awesome clothes. They don't have to worry about if their eyes are hurting because they've got salve. And they don't have to worry about food because they can buy food with all their money. So and I, I think that's exactly where we find ourselves, not only as people, but as believers in this culture, the culture we live in now. We have so many things that we don't need to be dependent. We don't need to depend on God to meet our needs because we don't have any needs anymore, right? I've got more clothes in my closet than I, well, I wear the same ones all the time. I don't know if you guys noticed, this is my preaching shirt. Nicole, you said you've noticed that before. This is my preaching shirt. Um, But we've got so many things. I'm bored, I'll turn on the TV or the Xbox or I'll get on my phone and sit there like this for hours on end. I'm hungry, I'll go get some of the leftovers. We made, we made way too much food the other night, so I'll just eat whatever's left over from that. I'm thirsty, I'll go, we have so much water here, we bottle it up and sell it, right? And we put it in fountains and we water our grass with it. And there's countries in the world that are like, we don't even have water to drink. You know, in our culture, we, we have so much clean, I think that's why people hate America, by the way, like, we don't have drinkable water and you're shooting it up in the air. But we, we don't have needs like that. We don't, we don't have to walk, we don't spend all morning walking to a well to get dirty water out of and walk back home and use it for the day to walk back at night and get more. So we've got some for that night. We don't have to do that. And so we find ourselves dependent on these things we don't have needs anymore. And the needs we think we have aren't necessarily needs, right? Oh, man, I don't know if my kids, he might have to wear the same clothes today he wore yesterday. Look at his shoes. There's a hole, right? I better go get him new shoes. He's had those shoes for almost a full school year. Those aren't needs, right? Our, our clothes are out of date or our shoes have a couple of holes in them. Those aren't needs, and so that's where we find ourselves in our society. So, so we've started kind of turning our eyes off God because we don't need him to meet those needs anymore. And they, our eyes just slowly drift towards ourselves and to the things that we want and the things we consider needs, right? Oh, you can't use that phone. That's an iPhone 4. <laughs> you can't. The camera on that's so bad, you guys. It is so bad. I don't know how you live, right? <laughs> Trust me, I, I, when it comes to some of that stuff, that's me. Um, but we love hearing those stories, right, of, of how someone's given up everything they have to follow Jesus. They've sold their stuff to be a missionary. They've given it all up, and they don't know necessarily where their food's going to come from the next day or, or money to pay their house payment or, or whatever. And then they wake up one morning and and there's an unexpected check in the mail or there's just groceries on their front porch and they don't know where they came from. And so they've seen God 
physically meet their needs and they've seen God move and they've seen his love and his grace and his provision in ways that would blow your mind. And we think that's awesome, but we don't want that to be us, right? I can't give away that stuff because what would I do if tomorrow I woke up and didn't have food, right? And we, we, what would I do if I didn't have food tomorrow? And we don't, we've, we've taken our eyes off God and we've tried to kind of keep one eye on God because we're at church on Sundays. We're also trying to keep an eye on ourselves because we've got to make sure that we are meeting the needs of our family and we're not depending on God. And so we become stagnant because we want to we wanna kind of start doing the things of God, but we also have got to kind of do this, and so we're just stuck in the middle going nowhere because we've got to focus on these two things at once, and we can't. What would really happen if tomorrow God started taking away those things that make us feel in control, make us feel comfortable? Would our world just completely crumble if God were to show us exactly how little control we have over what's going on around us? See, God gives us these things to enjoy. God created all of this stuff for us to enjoy. But our worship belongs ultimately to him and not to those things. It belongs to the creator and not the created. No one, does anybody worship their phone or do they like, oh man, you are so brilliant, phone. Look at how awesome you are. And you just came here to my hands. No, we talk about the genius of Steve Jobs and the people that he worked with and surrounded himself with that were able to come up with this, right? That's the same thing we do to God. And we're like, oh, food, you are so awesome. Oh, clothes, you are so awesome. Oh, water, you're so cold. I love water. And we turn our backs on God and we forget that God provided all those things for us. And so we become self-sufficient and we no longer need God for anything. And then when you look at this church, the worst part of the church, what he says in verse 17, you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. It's not necessarily their condition that's so bad, and it's bad. The fact is they don't even realize they're in, a bad, they're in bad shape because they've got everything they need. Right? And I think this is a problem for us as believers and us as churches in our country today. It's not necessarily where we're at, but that we don't realize... We're in bad shape. We've deceived ourselves because we're comfortable, right? There's a self-deception going on. And we're comfortable with where we're at. And if someone has a need, I can meet that need. If I have a need, a need, a need, a need I don't have to ask God to help me meet that need because I've got a great job and I can meet that need myself, right? And so Laodicea is this wealthy city that thought that it didn't need anything. But what Jesus is telling them in reality is that they don't have anything. They're wretched, miserable, poor, and naked because their money can't buy them riches in heaven. They're blind because they had no idea how spiritually broke they were. We've got everything we need. And they're naked because the clothes that they're adorning themselves with aren't appropriate to stand in the presence of God because they're putting all their time and energy in things that don't mean anything once they get to heaven. And so we may try to fool ourselves into believing that we have everything under control, but God knows us where we really are. God knows. He can look and see what, where we are spiritually. If we're really chasing after him or are we playing church 
and everything's good. Do the people at work and at school know that we're believers, or do they know that we go to church? Well, we've got an awesome church that does a lot of really cool stuff. Do we talk about our church, or do we talk about our God? He knows exactly where our hearts are. So how do we fix this problem? How do we in our, you know, in this room and, and in Stratford and, and in America, how do we begin to fix this problem? Because we look at the things going on around us and they just look horrible and we hope someone has the guts to stand up and, and start to make a change, right? I just wish someone would do something about this. We need someone in office who can fix these problems, right? And that's what we complain about it at come election time. That's what we complain about all the time. Oh, man, those people in Congress, they don't know what they're talking about. The president, although I agree he has a whack job, is a whack job. <laughs> He's more concerned with retweets than, than anything else getting done in office. And so how do we fix this problem? Well, we go back to our, to our scripture. It's the best place to go. If there's something wrong with me spiritually, where I need to turn to Scripture. I need to ask God to open my eyes to these things. So in verse 18, he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. So do you remember the things that, that Laodicea was known for, right? Their wealth because of their banking, their clothing, because they had this awesome, soft, black wool, and their eye salve. And in this one verse, Jesus is like, let me tell you something about wealth, clothing, and eye salve, right? He takes these things and he flips them on their head. Instead of storing up things in your banks, instead of storing up wealth, why don't you buy the gold that has been refined by fire from me? He's not saying you can buy your way or earn your way into heaven, but what he's saying is, you, there's, a, there's a thing you need. You need this gold that has been refined by fire, these riches in heaven. And the only way you can buy those, the cost for those, is your life. I've given up everything for you so that you could have those things. All I ask is your life. Give me your life and chase me, I promise you. You will have gold in heaven. You will have, and it has been it's the most pure and refined gold you can ever see because it's not a thing. It's not a thing. It's a life spent chasing Jesus. So instead of storing up those things, we need to chase the riches that come from a relationship in Christ. Instead of the, the black wool that they sold, he tells us to wear white, to clothe ourselves in righteousness, right? To cover up our nakedness. That when God looks at us, he doesn't see this poor person that's trying to hide from everyone. Right? He wants us to shine bright. He wants us to stick out. Their wool was black. So imagine everybody walking around with this awesome wool and one dude walking around wearing white clothes. He's going to stick out a little bit, right? Because he's doing something different. God's gotten a hold of him. And he's doing something different. He's living a different life. And then to buy ISAV from him, right? <laughs> that was their other big thing. Again, ISAV. I've never used ISAV. I'm just going to dwell on that. Let's spend the rest of our time talking about ISAV. Um, but to buy that from him, which is the word of God, right? Which allows us to see his perspective instead of our own condition. We can see the world through his eyes and we can see the life that he has for us because we've taken whatever's wrong with our eyes and we've washed it off by spending time in his word. 
and we can see his perspective instead of our condition and, and those around us. And we can see this is how he wants me to view those around me. If I want to make a change, I've got to invest my life in someone else and show them Jesus because change isn't going to come. This world, is this, this, our culture in the United States isn't going to fix itself by us praying about it all the time. right? We have to get out there and get involved. We have to get out of this salt shaker, as Pastor Marshall calls it. The salt doesn't do any good in here. You, your, your food won't taste any better because you own a salt shaker. You have to dump the salt onto the food to make it have its purpose, right? And so we have to get out there and we have to get involved in people's lives and say, man, I know you're hurting, but there's something different. Jesus has done something in my life that I don't know what the deal is. I, things were going great for me, but he got a hold of me and, he, and he, he flipped me around. The people in Laodicea had everything they needed, but that they thought they needed. They had everything they wanted, but they didn't have anything they needed. And they needed Christ to come in and shake things up and say, listen, you're doing it wrong. So number one, in, in order to fix this problem, we need to store up those riches in heaven. All this stuff around us is great, yes, and God gave it to us to enjoy. But that's not ultimately what our lives and what God's purpose is for us. God didn't create us to get as much stuff as we can before we go. He created us to give him glory and praise and honor and show those around us the greatness that is God and his love and his mercy, his justice. So number one, we need to store up those. In verse 19, it says, as many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. We need to repent. We need to look at our lives and say, man, I am going this way. And repent just means the military term. It means to do it about face. Again, this is Dr. Marshall speaking. I, I didn't know this till, till him. But it's a military term. It means to do it about face. And hey, let's go the other way. So in our lives, we're going this way and we're chasing these things. And that's not what God has for us. And we need to repent and chase after God. And do it zealously. Remove all distractions from our, from our eyes and from our lives and run with passion towards God because it's the only thing that's going to change the world around us. If they look at us and they don't see anything different in my life and their life, why would they want to serve a God like that? And then in verse 20, he says, See, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. So lastly, we need to respond. When God starts working in our lives, he starts trying to get our attention. It doesn't do any good for us to hear the knocking and ignore it. He's not a Girl Scout trying to sell us cookies. right? Well, I, gave, I bought Girl Scout cookies at school. That's not God. He's not, he just stands there and knocks. He's not going to go away. See, God doesn't force his way into our lives and force us into a response because that would cause us to resent him. Right? That's not, that's not a loving father and a loving God. He stands at the door and knocks, and he's a perfect gentleman. He waits, and he knocks, and he's calling. And he's waiting for us to respond. And he gives us this promise, this hope. As we go on in verse 21, or I'm sorry, at the, at the end of this, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Verse 21, to the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me at the throne, just as I also conquered and sit down with, at the, at my, with my father at his throne. 
So he's calling us to respond. And the good news is when we respond, we get the most awesome reward that we can be. We get God and we get all of God. He doesn't hold anything back. He says, at the end of the day, even if this world doesn't plan out how you hoped it would be, you will be able to sit with me and sit with my Father. And we'll just be able to spend time with each other in this perfect relationship. Even if death is the worst thing that can come, it's ultimately the best gift you can get because now you're in the throne room of God and you get to see Jesus how he was intended. You get to experience a relationship how, with him how it was intended to be. And with God, you get to experience all of his fullness without all the crap around us. So he gives us a reward. He doesn't just say, do this, do this, do this, and hope it'll get good. No, he's knocking and he's waiting for us to answer the door. We have to respond to that knock. So, as we close this morning, Jackson and Bridget or whoever can go ahead and come on up. I'd like to extend that invitation to you. Are you ready to stop watching what's going on around you and say, man, I hope somebody does something, but it's not really affecting me right here where I live, so I'll just kind of stay on the side. Or do you want to turn your eyes on Christ and allow yourself to be completely changed by Him? so that you can go out and affect the world around you. I'm going to pray, and then I'll be down, down here at the front if anyone would like me to pray for them. Or, or if anybody needs to do business with God, the, this altar's open. Just come up here and lay all your worries and your concerns at his feet, all the things that you've been chasing. Maybe you need to come up here and say, God, I'm sorry, I give these things all to you. Father, I thank you for your love, God. I thank you for your provision and in our lives. God, I'm so sorry when I take advantage of those things, God. And I, and I just look at the things around me and I marvel in those instead of marveling in you, God. Work on my heart, God. Help me to, to shake off this, this sense of apathy, of not caring as long as it doesn't affect me, Father. Help me to chase you with just absolute abandon, God. With no regard for the things of this world, God that my life be consumed with pleasing you and honoring you. God, you're such a good God, and you've given so much for us. God, help us to use those things that you've given us, God, for your glory and for your honor, not for our own benefit. God, we lift up this time of invitation to you right now. God, just begin to work in, in each other's lives, Father. We ask all these things in your name.